All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment. A story to share. Send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. Yeah, and I think that's the issue um, that I have with with a synthetic approach, with the idea of breaking down language into uh, digestible units that are taught in a linear fashion with the so-called PPP approach, and we all know what that stands for. The last one being, of course, the preachy part, um, where you expect students to actually use the language, but we all know that a lot of the times when students are producing the language in that last stage of the lesson, what they're actually doing is they're just showing their teacher that they have, that they're trying to incorporate the language, but they're not really communicating. So it goes back to the idea of they're talking about the language, but they're not talking in the language. So there are lots of good habits that you could then apply to something else. Like, okay, so let's look at simple past and um, past continuous or past progressive, right? Okay, Mm -hmm. apply the same rule. Okay, how is meaning affected by using one, right? What are some situations in which one might be might one might be more common than the other? Whenever you teach a structure, you should be thinking about certain aspects, like where would the structure naturally appear? How what meaning is attached to this structure? Is there a function attached to this structure? Does it change if I put an adjective before? Uh, just encouraging uh, a critical approach to language. Hey everyone, my name is Azat Bostaş and I'm from Turkey. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. Um, This is Mike. I'm Leo. And this is Andrew. And uh, we're all here pretty pumped and excited because... We recently had a little discussion at a networking event here in Toronto where we looked at language awareness. And I think we all left the session pretty energized with some really good takeaways. Am I not right? Bang on, baby. That's correct. Bang on. So I think what we'll do today, folks, is explore some of those topics. So we looked at language awareness with our participants and we really actually got a great response and we started off right away talking a little bit about the definition of language awareness and how we might define it. So maybe I'll just start off with a question for you guys. Uh, what words come to mind when you think of language awareness? Andrew? Uh, I think about knowledge. I think about structure, 
foundation. Um, I always thought about it when I was kind of learning Spanish and kind of I thought of it as a puzzle, like piecing it together. What goes together? What doesn't go together? What is, what is my level of knowledge about how the puzzle fits together? Leo? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for me, language awareness blends a little bit about a little bit of everything, I would say. It's it's content. It's the skill. It's the attitudinal education of it, the metacognitive opportunities, which, again, as you said, Andrew, allows allow students or allow the person to reflect on this whole process of um, language acquisition, uh, language learning, and ultimately language use. Yeah, and, and I think the definition that we provided in the workshop was from the Association for Language Awareness, mm-hmm. where I mean, and they touch on a lot of it. I mean, if it reads explicit knowledge about language and conscious perception and sensitivity in language learning, language teaching, and mm-hmm. language use. And I think that you, you've all touched on, um, on different components of that definition. Uh, I think the, the key thing here is that, that language awareness, and one of the takeaways was that language awareness actually has benefits for both teachers and students, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, one takeaway that we had from that was that um, by developing a conscious understanding of how language works, we can both learn languages a little bit faster, as is the case with Andrew in Spanish, and also we can you know, better inform our teacher teaching practice uh, going forward. Um, mm-hmm. Where would you guys like to start off? Would you like to start off talking a little bit about language awareness for teachers or students? Well, I think we could start talking about language awareness as, you know, something, a pedagogical tool, Mike. Um, asking, uh, to me, language awareness is asking what a teacher needs to know about the language in order to teach it effectively. So um, if we think about this, like, how do you answer the phone in English? So imagine a student of English asks you this question. How would you respond? Well, I mean, you would draw with, like, your own personal experience, right? First, you pick up the phone and you would say hello, and then you would say, "That's a good question." Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm the I'm the person who would answer the question with a question like, "Well, who's calling?" Uh, because it changes the answer, right? And and these days, and I guess sometimes with textbooks they're dated or whatever, but these days most people don't have a landline phone. And mm-hmm. even if they do, most people have caller ID, right? So, and therefore mm-hmm. they don't answer the phone. They, 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 <laughs> they don't. Voicemail. <laughs> so right. ask, ask me the task again. How do you answer the phone? I don't. That's the answer <laughs> to the question. Okay. So, but I think it's good. No, I think the point you're trying uh, to get at, Leo, is that that you know, first of all, we need to be aware of the the systems and the functions. Yeah. That that, and the meaning. That, style, right? And the style that um, is contained within the language or linguistic mm-hmm. choices we use when we you know, produce either um, some spoken um, text or, or written text, right? And I mean, as teachers, we need to be aware of those so we can identify mm-hmm. them and, and then set out to teach them yeah. to our students or help them notice them if we are dealing with the text, right? It's, it's the same thing when, uh, when a student asks you, like, why can you say I'm absolutely furious but not i'm absolutely angry mm-hmm. right so a, a teacher needs to have this explicit knowledge of the language in order to be able to you know explain and address those issues again some of these things as you said mike discourse competence pragmatic competence again with the emphasis being on making this knowledge explicit for this for the for the teacher in order to help the students 
Well, I think but the I word think that second point there. Sorry, the no, second no, go ahead. point is also that there needs to be that balance, right, Leo, between explicit and then support and noticing, right? Like mm-hmm. you just can't just because something is to get back to an earlier podcast, just because something is noticed or there doesn't mean that it's going to be acquired, right? So it's also up to the teacher to then mm-hmm. make sure those um, that language is acquired. Sorry, Andrew, I interrupted. Yeah, there. no, no, that's okay. I was going to focus on the word uh, address that Leo said. So how a teacher needs to have that knowledge to address it in the classroom. But again, going back to what we talked about earlier, uh, how do we address it in the classroom? Because explaining the the, the nuance or, or, or how it's used and it might not be the best approach and I think we can say isn't the best approach. And in the session, the, the workshop that we, we did a few weeks ago, we talked about three different aspects of language awareness and, and its relevance. And you guys have a lot of research on this. Uh, language awareness is relevant to focus on and terms that sound similar, but actually are not that similar, right? So focus on forms with S, focus on form without S, and focus on meaning. And in the definition that we supplied earlier for language awareness, the last one was language in use, which I think we all agree is the end goal of all of this, right? Getting students to use the language. How do we get them there? Well, there's three three relevances here. So focus on forms, focus on form, focus on meaning. Maybe you guys can talk us through the differences there. Well, yeah. Well, no, I I think that um, I guess it depends a little bit on on your general approach to to language teaching. And, And I think it'd be kind of wiser to maybe just start off with a little bit of kind of the idea of um, the interface, right, Leo, that that we talked about in the workshop in which mm-hmm. you, you know, if you are focusing on on meaning, then you're focusing more on, say, procedural um, knowledge, right? Right. Whereas if you're focusing on forms, you're focusing specifically on explicitly teaching a structure. And 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 really, I think as a, as, a, as a company or a, um, we kind of fall in the middle there, right? Where we 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 would like our learners to to take some of their knowledge, um, but we want them to first of all, you know, perform the task focusing on meaning. Then, as Andrew's pointed out, with the second uh, for, uh, similar sounding word, focus on form. So help uh, language emergence coming from, say, a task or um, a, an activity. Okay and providing the scaffolding necessary so that uh, they are noticing what language they need to therefore kind of succeed at that task in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you wanted to add to that, Leo. No, it's, it's that. It's, I think it's the weak interface is basically, is basically what we believe in. Um, it's not saying that we don't believe in teaching, but we don't believe in this idea of breaking down language into smaller pieces, or as Sarnbury likes to use the term that he actually coined, grammar McNuggets, um, breaking down language into these very small uh, pieces and then teaching them in a, in a linear fashion and then expecting the learners to put all these pieces together and then produce language. And I think with, with the weak interface, the purpose is, of course, to raise the learner's ability to notice the language. And in order for them to notice we need to make the implicit explicit and therefore make the explicit um, automatic. But in order mm-hmm. for them to do that, they need to have some sort of um, language awareness. So the question for you guys, before we talk about language awareness from a student's perspective is, when it comes to teachers, how do you feel 
um, about language awareness? Is it something that is not required? Is it something that is handy? Or is it something that is vital for, for teachers? Yeah, I, I'll jump in here. I think, yeah. I think I think I would say that it's vital, but I put an asterisk next to it because I think we need to have a, a deep understanding of how language works, in this case, the English language, how it works in order to facilitate that in the classroom. However, uh, as teachers, we can become over-reliant or over-focused on how the language works. And we I, I do believe we need to have a deep knowledge of the language, however, not necessarily using that in an explicit way in the classroom so that mm-hmm. students don't also become over-focused and solely focused on those micro-elements of language, which could impede their their production. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree totally with that. Uh, I think that that essentially it, it kind of gets back to the, the kind of the noticing hypothesis and mm-hmm. Schmidt and, and, and that that um, everything, language doesn't happen in isolation. I think that that's the trouble or problem that teachers have with the focus on forms and the kind of synthetic syllabus is that is that um, these points and language points and structures are just thrown in there um, without any real meaning attached to them. I mean, they are contextualized, but but what you what I would suggest is that we actually want to fake go from a needs based analysis you know mm-hmm. what are what what is the what is the language that our students are will be expected to produce and focus on those needs um, and then and then pr- provide engaging tasks um, mm-hmm. that generate those language points naturally so this idea of language emergence and focusing on form um, ie the the language or gaps that they don't have proficient use of and focus on how to deal mm-hmm. with that um mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit like you know we had lots of sport analogies in our workshop right and you know you can learn about driving a car in a book but unless you drive the car you're not going to become a better driver right like you have <laughs> yeah. to have the balance of both right yeah um, i think do we, I forget if we, we talked about golf i think as well maybe maybe tennis <laughs> right where it's it's a lot obviously there's a physical aspect to it but it's a lot in your head it's it's very mm-hmm. mental and I think we can extend the analogy to students that if they're, I, I think and as, as a company, as, as a group of three here, we agree that language awareness on the part of the student is very important. However, if they stay in their head, you're not going to hit a good golf shot. It's just not going to happen, right? But if, it, if Leo, you used the word earlier, automatize, if they automatize mm-hmm. their language, then in the golf swing, as if you golf, you know, if you automatize it, you're, you're more likely to hit good shots consistently. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the issue um, that I have with with a synthetic approach, with the idea of breaking down language into uh, digestible units that are taught in a linear fashion with the so-called PPP approach, and we all know what that stands for. The <laughs> last one being, of course, the preachy part, um, where you expect students to actually use the language, but we all know that a lot of the times when students are producing the language in that last stage of the lesson, Basically, what they're doing is they're basically um, they're displaying knowledge. They're doing. I think what I'm under the, the feeling that, or under the assumption here, maybe that what they're actually doing is they're just showing their teacher that they have that they're trying to incorporate the language, but they're not really communicating. So it goes back to That's the right. idea of they're talking about the language, but they're not talking in the language, right? Yeah. So when we design our lessons using. Uh, a grammatical point as the focal unit, then language becomes 
some sort of uh, a, a, a display. So you're just showing the teacher, oh, listen, I can use the present perfect in the in this conversation. But how many of you can, how many of us can actually have an entire conversation only using the present perfect? Not me. No, no, not at all, right? And I think that display is a key word, right? Like they, they call those, you know, display questions, display activities. And, and really, if, you know, if our goal is to create lifelong learners, lifelong language learners, lifelong learners in general, it's not only the surface level display, you know, the conversation only using the, the present perfect tense yeah. should be focusing on. It should be, um, you know, trying to foster genuine exploration mm -hmm. of the text and of the language. Um, and again, and how, how choices of words affect overall meaning. Because I think that's what, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about teaching, you know, as a teacher, um, and we've done this a lot with live modeling, all three of us, is is when you do live modeling with your students, um, it, it tells you a lot about your, your, your teaching, and it also helps them as learners understand choices, right? Because um, when you're going through and, say, maybe writing an academic paragraph together and you're using certain words in transitions or you're using certain words that may have certain connotation and you're live modeling this in front of the class, you, you find yourself kind of correcting yourself, replacing them, those words with uh, synonyms that might have a more positive connotation. And the, the whole time your, your learners are there and they're basically understanding how, mm -hmm. you know, that, that just because I, I know a grammar tense, doesn't mean I can actually convey an appropriate message. And yeah. it's, it's something as, as a teacher that um, we, we, if you don't have language awareness, you will take for granted and you won't be able to help your students make those choices. So for me, at the end of the day, learning a language, it's about, you, you know, our students want to be appropriate, right? They, they want to be able to convey a message, but they want to be able to do it in a way that is appropriate for their context, be it informal with their friends or formal in say an, in an academic essay right so mm -hmm. um by not having language awareness as teachers it's hard for us to then instill good values in our students such as you know things like language exploration mm -hmm. noticing techniques the metacognitive um, strategies and, and so on so for me i i, I kind of think that you can't separate language awareness for teachers and language awareness for students because for me they're just inherently connected yeah, and, and even exploiting a textbook as well, right? I know a lot of, in teaching contexts, most That's teachers true. use textbooks. And a lot That's of workshops right. that we've done, uh, the feedback that we've gotten from some of the, the, the attendees, the teachers has, have said, oh, look at my textbook, what you guys have just talked about. It's here. I didn't even notice it before. <laughs> and right. now I kind of know how to exploit it or how to use it based on the workshop that we've just done. Mm -hmm. um, because textbooks sometimes or most of the time they're not very intuitive right and but if we have language awareness as teachers then i think we're more able to use them in the way that perhaps they were designed but not in the, are necessarily you know obviously conveyed through the the written form that's right and if i can just interject quickly there cuz i know leo you might have a follow up to this i think i think one thing we can appreciate is that even as you know as as a as a less experienced teacher um you know as a I, I didn't have that much language awareness, right? But, you know, and, and I used to kind of fall back to this whole, when my students would write something or say something, and they would say, I would say, no, that's wrong. And they would say, why? And I would say, oh, well, 
because it just doesn't sound right, right? This whole idea of it doesn't sound right. And, and I think <laughs> it's frustrating as a teacher when it, it, it comes down to that, right? And, and I think just having language awareness, again, it, um, it gives you more confidence as it's yes. knowing how systems yes. work. But it also, again, it's our job to set good examples for our students and practice what you preach, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you, you can't really deal in a more satisfactory um, way with errors that come up, again, like you said, because you won't be able to, to address them. You won't be able to correct them and explain why. And as you said, Mike, you won't be confident. No. Um, what I was going to say, and this is, um, you won't be able to anticipate problems and so on and so forth. But what I was going to say then is, I don't know, but this is something that I've been playing with for a while. Um, but I find that the classrooms maybe are just not good places to learn languages. That's interesting. Um, especially because, again, it's not really, think about it, it's not really always the best or the, the most condu conducive um, environment for real conversations. Because, again, if we look at our students, a lot of the times they're not really talking in the language. They're usually talking about the language, right? They're producing um, certain forms that we expect them to produce, right? Um, so I don't know. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this. Perhaps we should, instead of teaching the present continuous, we should just take them for a walk around the block, <laughs> you know, and then right. let the language emerge naturally from what, what do you, going back to the uh, Angie Maldrius, what do you see? What do you notice around here? Oh, I see a lot of people doing certain things. So letting the language Creating, I think, creating the perfect affordance for language to emerge more naturally. That's kind of what I'm trying to get. To yeah, here. no, I think that's that's. I agree with that. Oh, and again, going back to my personal experience, and that's not doesn't mean that it works for everybody. But that's how I learned Spanish. You know, mm -hmm. by increasing my language awareness about Spanish, but not in a classroom. You know, out in the world, wanting to go out and, as you said, how do you answer the phone? I was terrified to talk on the phone in Spanish <laughs> forever because it's really hard. Uh, you don't have the body language. You don't have the you know that type of of aid with you. You know, I wanted to go to a restaurant. I couldn't do it. I went home. How do I do it? And I okay. I, I raised my awareness that way. But it was like a real life task based learning mm -hmm. uh, methodology because I just had to do all these tasks. Right? You mentioned Thornberry's McNuggets earlier, and I think we do advocate for students understanding the micro elements of language, but so, as they pertain to their real life you know, tasks that they do. The McNuggets refer to pre-prescribing forms mm -hmm. that students may or may not actually need slash use. So we, we don't advocate that. But on the other hand, the micro elements can help, at least they did for me, in doing what I needed to do. To travel, to go to the beach, to go surfing, to eat, to make friends. And that, that really helped me. But again, maybe not for everybody. No, and I think, um, you know, we, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I'm sure we will have a, a podcast on task-based language teaching, but I think the, the, the key kind of concept that comes out of task-based language teaching that I think applies here is, you know, uh, appropriacy, right? And, mm -hmm. and that um, uh, a task doesn't need to be real world. Yes. Um, it just needs to be real enough, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> real enough to produce <laughs> genuine interaction, genuine outcome, where uh, to get to touch on what Leo said earlier, uh, to to get the language to emerge naturally, and if they, if student if learners can produce that language, that's great. Then you add more complexity, and you you push it again. And if they can't get that to that next level of com complexity, mm -hmm. then you focus on that form or that um, make a nugget <laughs> that mm -hmm. they that they might need to to get them past that threshold, right? 
And uh, but you again, unless you have that language awareness or ability to analyze language, um, you won't be able to um, support your students and, and provide that the zone of proximal development, right? The yeah. um, social. So no, no teacher starts with that level of awareness or, or very few. How can teachers, if they're listening, how can teachers get to a point where they can say that their language awareness is high? How can we go from starting out and knowing little about language awareness to going to a point where I'm comfortable with my level of language awareness? Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hi everyone, my name is Bhavna and I come from Nepal. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. So no no teacher starts with that level of awareness, or, or very few. How can teachers, if they're listening, how can teachers get to a point where they can say that their language awareness is high? How can we go from starting out and knowing little about language awareness to going to a point where I'm comfortable with my level of language awareness? I think curiosity. It's, it's a starting point. Um, you can't really teach a language if you only have implicit knowledge of that language, because like as we talked about this, you need to be able to make that implicit knowledge explicit to students, right? Because that's when you're planning lessons, right? Planning lessons is all about what? Trying to preempt um, or avoid the spontaneity that we want in the classroom. But at the same time, real language uses, uh, real language use uh, thrives on this spontaneity. But how do you, how do you address the issues that students are having with the language as they are communicating in a more spontaneous way if you don't have that language awareness. So teachers need to really study. Um, I don't know if a lot of, I remember when I took my CELTA, we didn't have a lot of language awareness. I mean, we had to plan lessons. We had to um, look at language forms, but I don't think there was a strong emphasis on developing language awareness. Mike, do you remember that in your training? Well, I, I do remember from the um, the CERT TESOL um, mm. sessions that that there were specific patterns that um, mm. that the trainees or, or um, uh, participants were were exposed to and encouraged to study for their um, for their examination, but but no, I mean not not so much in terms of language analysis, right? Mm. I think what we're getting what we're trying to get back to is is um, the ability to look at language in the real world, right? And real language use. And, and no, I mean, it's, that's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's really difficult to 
to identify those parts of uh, a text that you find valid um, unless you, you you know them before <laughs> ahead of time like you again it goes back to noticing right you have to know what to look for um, right and i think with certain things it's quite obvious like letter writing you can say okay well yeah we need to have a greeting we need to have the first paragraph it's probably going to greet the person again and and explain the purpose of while they're writing why they're writing and and so on but um but no i i think that um by and large most uh, teacher education programs or at least the initial pre pre-session programs um don't really spend a lot of time on language awareness or or i think i think what came out of our workshop was was they there's not enough right mm-hmm. that there's so much that they that um those programs try to squeeze in that there's that they most graduates just don't feel they have enough language it's a time issue and again confidence yeah it's just timing you can't develop language awareness in a four-week program no i'm sorry but it's just it's just not really um it's not feasible i think what i'd like to see with those programs is not just throwing the language awareness at the trainees and saying this is these are this is time this is tense this is aspect these are the parts of speech etc but also going through the its applicability in the classroom so Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's all the language awareness you need to learn. Go do it. Okay, but so what? And how does, as a teacher, how do I, if I know this, how do I use it? And I think that's the big gap in those programs. Yeah. Yeah. And I I would only add to that, like maybe also throw in something along the lines of, you know, habit, habit building, right? Like, okay, so, so going back to what I said earlier about some of the structures that were taught in the, or, 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 uh, yeah, I guess taught in the, um, Sertiesel course, I mean, they, they looked at conditionals, right? So yeah. conditionals are, are great, right? You look at the different types of conditionals. Um, you look at, um, you know, the, the tenses used in them. You look at what the, how, how meaning is affected when you choose one conditional over the other. So there are lots of good habits that you could then apply to something else. Like, okay, so let's look at simple past and um, past continuous or past progressive, right? Okay. Yeah apply the same rule okay how is meaning affected by using one right what mm. are some situations in which one might be might one might be more common than the other and, and so on like like i think it's okay if they can't teach it all in those four weeks but they could at least set up uh, aim to maybe instill some values of like whenever you teach a structure you should be thinking about certain aspects like where would the structure naturally appear how what meaning is attached to this structure is there a function attached to the structure does it change if i put an adjective before it and, and so on right like how does adding an adverb affect it right like you know they're uh, just encouraging uh, a critical approach to language absolutely with that in mind then i guess so that's from the teaching perspective should we then so it sounds like we agree that teachers should have a high level of language awareness should students absolutely I I would say students also need to have some some sort of language awareness. I don't think it has to be as developed and as advanced as as a teacher's. But um, Will is actually talks a lot about that. Um, the essential conditions for language learning, again, not language awareness not being one of them, but um, mm-hmm. exposure is one of them. Again, going back to the um, no interface where students are basically just exposed to rich, authentic, and comprehensible language that is slightly above their current level of uh, language development again they have to be able to um, use the language again in opportunities in the classroom for those meaningful interactions and finally uh, motivation to of course learn the language do the work listen read write and speak 
And it, the funny thing here, guys, is that um, instruction is not essential, but desired. Mm-hmm. So, right. Again. So that would be the, the weak interface, though, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're basically helping them focus on focus on form, helping them explore the language, yeah. drawing attention and noticing and the, the metacog, which I, I would say, Leo, just to add to what you said, you know, these are all key elements of becoming a better learner overall, right? Mm-hmm. Willis identifies motivation as an essential condition for learning. Um, do you think language awareness, we talked about this in our session, in our workshop, that do you think language awareness can, in some cases, fit into that motivation prong? Because it, with students learning about language awareness, they can become more engaged with the language. Mm-hmm. I agree. I would say that if you have a little bit of language awareness, then you will feel more motivated to investigate language a little further. Um, but if you don't have any language awareness, then you don't have any sort of coping mechanisms to deal with the uncertainties of language, right? Mm-hmm. So that's right. That's that's what I think. Right, especially in a language like English that has so many exceptions. And mm-hmm. if you know, we see students a lot getting frustrated when when we did, when, when teachers could say, "Oh, well, it's just an exception," and without giving any further explanation of how to identify, how to analyze exceptions. And so, yeah, I think lack of awareness on the student part can lead to a lot of frustration with the, the learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy, I can't remember his name now, but uh, Josh, Josh Whiteskin, Whiteskin. Mm-hmm. Whiteskin. Yes. So he wrote that book, um, The Art of Learning. And he talks a lot about this idea of learning the macro from the micro. Again, you can't really um, learn something um, without understanding um, the micro, without studying the micro. Because So basically he says that the essence of learning is to study the micro in order to learn what makes the macro, the macro tick. Right. right. So diving into these small pools of information, in this case, language awareness, in order to explore and, and experience the operating principles of whatever we're trying to learn. Mm-hmm. And his life, I mean, he's only 42 years old, but his life is an example of that. Uh, and he wrote the book kind of about him, uh, about himself, of course. Um, but he's an American chess player. He's a martial arts competitor. And of course, he's an author. And as a child, he was this chess prodigy for those who don't know and he won the u.s junior chess championship in 93 and 94 he went on to win many adult championships as well and, and the film uh searching for bobby fisher i haven't actually seen that um mm. but was was made after him because he he according to himself he, he taught himself all the tricks of chess from the micro level upwards and became this this chess champion the words escaped me for what people call the what do you call the the the, the guru the, the champion of chess but he became that and he, he did the same thing the same process in his adulthood with um martial, uh, arts. martial arts with palm wrestling or, or i forget the term but he did the same thing so he's, he's a great example of micro to macro i was going to say uh the, the word you were looking for there was a chester but um i, <laughs> I don't uh, think that's correct actually master chess master maybe chess master yeah that, that sounds okay nice, yeah. that's why i don't teach chess throw that one out there to the audience okay. <laughs> I, I remember chess one master, thing you yeah. said is it's learning must emphasize depth over breadth and i think that yes. was the essence of the book to me so if we want to excel our approach to learning must emphasize depth over breadth. So Good. again, I think having having this depth, which again, it's the language awareness, then we should be able to um, um, create essential conditions or, you know, in a way, um, become better language learners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. 100%. Okay. 
um, we also looked at f- the four benefits, right, for, for students. Um, the first one being language acceleration. And what does that, that mean? And that it, it, the idea is that it could or it might speed up a learner's quote-unquote natural language development. Um, and I guess, again, an asterisk here because as far as we know, there's no research that actually says that a student's heightened language awareness actually directly correlates to an improvement in their proficiency. But for other areas, it, it can help, and it can help with the motivation. So language acceleration was one, output production, the priming effect, and the fossilization, fossilization theory was the fourth one. And that it prevents it, right? Yeah. And that it prevents yeah. fossilization, if they have an increased awareness uh, or ability to self-correct. And I think that's what Krashen was saying when he talks about the no interface. He believed that this um, ex, uh, explicit knowledge would help learners monitor their output because they're not really, um, they won't be able to learn that knowledge if they're focusing on meaning, but they can actually have that language awareness to somewhat monitor the, the output. I think that's what he calls the monitor hypothesis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mike, any limitations in terms of language awareness? Well, I think it goes the other way, right? Like where too much focus on um, language awareness, too much focus on language awareness might result in um, overuse of the monitoring, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the, both teachers and learners beginning begin to obsess uh, with producing accurate language at the expense of fluent language. Um, and then from a teaching point of it, I mean, it's obvious, you know, you don't want to be the grammar teacher, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You have to, you you don't want to lecture in the classroom. Again, you want to focus on usage, right? It's all about uh, using the language and then going back, reflecting on how that message could have been delivered a little bit more effectively and then arming them, supporting them by, by providing the form to fill that gap so that they can therefore um, perform the task either better or perform the past task better with um, some added complexity involved. And I think, you know, I, I would also go back to what you said earlier, Leo, about reflection, right? I think language awareness is the first step of building, you know, metacognitive strategies. Um, it's it's mm-hmm. one thing for a learner to produce uh, some, some text, either spoken discourse or written discourse. Uh, but it's great if they can go back over that work that they've produced and identify ways of making it better. And, mm-hmm. and that's where we become um, involved, really. That's our job to, to help support them through that process. Process over product, right? Depth over breadth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. I think it's interesting, going back to what you said there, Mike, I think it's interesting because a lot of teachers I run into, I'm sure you have the same experience, uh, will say that they love teaching grammar and it's it's interesting i you know, think about why do they say that and, and maybe they do and it's interesting but i think in some cases we we do run the risk of being what mike you said there being quote unquote the grammar teacher and you know sh- kind of not the right term maybe but showing off what we know at the expense of allowing the students to explore and, mm-hmm. and deal with the emergent language that that arises that's right and and focusing on forms uh, part of the you know the synthetic syllabus means that they might not get beyond that display yes. um, display questioning and um, you know controlled practice stage because there's no guarantee something presented and practiced will result in the 
final present uh, or production stage, right? So that is, a, you know, that's that's the other drawback. Um, I think it's one thing to lecture, but it's also, you know, what what is the what sort of comprehensible output are the students producing, mm-hmm. and does a great focus or so, um, uh, does an over focus on language awareness uh, result in in perhaps worse output? Um, I mm-hmm. think we want to have that balance between. Um, accuracy and quality output and meaningful output I, th- I think might be a better word so what are the um how can we apply language awareness in the classroom then like i have one yeah sorry i have one and this is similar to uh one mike that we've designed in our online language awareness course our grammar for teachers course um it's again an introduction to the idea of register or language formality or informality and again, an awareness of audience. So students are asked how they might respond to a situation. For example, um, you, if they bump into a younger child after recess or after break, you know, or if they bump into their teacher on the street or if they bump into a, an elderly person. So that's one example of how language awareness could be um, dealt with or increased in the classroom. So you're saying how it might change if they bumped into, say, someone with like uh, they were more familiar with versus yeah. someone there's a some sort of power relationship there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think that that is a good one. And, and you're right. Yeah, that is part of the course, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> thinking back to another activity that's there, you know, there are um, there are certain you know there are certain elements of speech that that you know might have one meaning in one context and an entirely different meaning in another, right? I think one of the examples of we're, we're looking at a conversation between two football fans, soccer fans, and they're talking about a, uh, a player being due, right? Mm. You know, you know and it's, it's um, these sort of activities where you can draw learners attention to changes in meaning based on a context and, um, and, and, how or why you might choose to use a certain word in a situation over mm-hmm. over others, right? And I think that's what it comes down to. For me, when I approach language awareness in the classroom, I always try to get back to the question of why. You know, why do you think they chose this structure? You know, why is this structure better than, say, using another one? Why is this expression a little bit better than putting it in a, as you yeah. said, Leo, a more formal or less formal way. Yeah. And I, I think really that's it. You know, that's the, you know, language emergence. We keep saying it, folks, um, yeah. noticing techniques and uh, and really just providing support and encouraging exploration of the language, yeah. not the uh, prescriptive piecemeal chunks and McNuggets, uh, language right. McNuggets. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. You had one. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say that even if we look because I was thinking about pattern grammar and that's something that I, it's, it's, it's a model that I've been, I've been, you know, talking around for a while now and I really want to learn more and I want to emphasize that in my classrooms and with my students. And again, if you don't have the language awareness, then you're not going to be able to digest and have this view of grammar as opposed to, like you said, Mike, the idea of, of being exposed to these meg nuggets, these pieces of, of language. So looking at language from a from a pattern perspective requires a little bit of language awareness from from a student's perspective. Yeah, and, and you know that's a that's a great point, especially when you think of say something like um, passive voice. So when we actually another course that we have coming out soon, the the newest installment of the Grammar for Teachers course uh, on um, Thinkific. Uh, you know, looking at passive, I think passive is a classic example there, right, Leo, where you're, mm-hmm. you're looking at passive voice, 
and the the important role that the preposition plays before the agent, right? Right. Because um, for for you know for a lot of students, a prepositions are really tough to remember, <laughs> and and also for however I should say however um, if you can somehow give them lots of ex provide lots of examples of say uh, passives followed by four then they'll they'll start to develop their own awareness and they'll start to apply rules to why mm. one preposition might be more appropriate than the other even though both are possible right and um, pattern grammars is full of those situations my question is to Andrew now um, so Andrew language awareness in practice why do students actually need it what do you think yeah, I mean, I, I think we all agree that, that the, the research shows that it doesn't actually correlate to the increase in proficiency like we said before. However, that doesn't mean that there are no benefits, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, a, it's, as you guys are kind of giving examples of here, it's a very big tool for students' critical thinking and communication, right? So it can, as we said before, can increase their motivation or their engagement with the language, their mm -hmm. accountability with their own language as well, their investment in it. And it allows them to take risks with the language as well. And when they do take risks, they can notice some certain mistakes and be able to self-correct and go towards uh, being a more autonomous language learner. So if we are taking the idea that the classroom maybe is not the best place to learn a language, well, maybe the classroom is a, is a place to build or to learn to learn, to learn about language awareness, to learn how to learn language awareness, and then they can uh, be more autonomous outside of the classroom in terms of how the language applies to their own to their own lives. Mm -hmm. mm, well said. Yeah. I, I, can I end with the uh, with Leach's um, description of what he calls the mature communicative knowledge of grammar yeah. required by a teacher? So he actually mentions um, five points. The first one again, being able to explain how grammar interacts with Lexis again, not this uh, dichotomized version that we have. In course books where grammar is taught separately from from Lexis, but looking at the two of them um, becoming being part of one system, again, um, from from a, from a, a teaching perspective, looking at um, helping the learners with their linguistic necessities, again analyzing the problems that learners encounter in the language, and Mike mentioned this the idea of being confident um, in evaluating um, the use of grammar by the learners. Right, looking at uh, appropriacy, looking at discourse, looking at expressiveness, and things like that. Um, what are the other two, Mike? Do you remember? And then also um, looking at the contrastive relationship between language, right? Mm -hmm. So the between their first language, right? Between their first language and um, and uh, the, the the second language or the additional yeah. language that they're trying to learn, and um, also uh, you know just simplifying things, really, right? You know being able to uh, implement a process of, you know, simplifying um, language, which uh, the message you're trying to communicate can be best presented um, to uh, the audience, right? And I'm not saying that very eloquently at all, but, uh, but yeah, basically being able to um, be more efficient with their language use. Yeah. All right. So we, we ended our session with a couple of reflection questions for the audience. So why don't we throw them out there uh, for everyone to think about. And if you have an answer that you'd like to share, maybe you can shoot us an email, info at 
Com. So the first question uh, we asked, and again, language awareness from a teaching perspective is very reflective, right? So the first one is very simple. How would you rate your own language awareness? Number two, how do you feel it affects your performance as a teacher? And number three, do you feel more confident about your language awareness in some areas rather than others? So grammar specifically, language generally, etc. If so, in which areas are you most confident? And in which areas are you the least confident? And why do you think that is? So some reflection to take away from this episode as well. And that's it. Yeah. And thank, thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> I yeah. think that was it. Yeah. And yeah. thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.